I'm Charlie Melcher, founder and director of the Future of Storytelling. Welcome back to the FOST podcast. My guest today is Saki Bassett, co-founder of the award-winning multimedia production studio, Moment Factory. Though you may not know them by name, you're about to discover a creative shop that leads the world in multimedia experience design, sitting at the absolute cutting edge of innovation in live entertainment. From humble beginnings creating visual effects and projection art for rave parties in the 90s, Saki and his partners have turned Moment Factory into a global force with 350 team members spread out over five countries and a client list that includes Microsoft, Epic Games, Disney Parks, the Olympics, and global superstars such as Billie Eilish, Nine Inch Nails, and Madonna. Using large-scale projection mapping, immersive audio, and interactive technologies, Moment Factory completely transforms public spaces, from 800-year-old cathedrals to hyper-modern subway stations, and from intimate night walks through the forest to Super Bowl halftime shows aired for hundreds of millions of fans. Listen on and you'll understand why the biggest brands, rock stars, and entertainment events in the world call Moment Factory when they want to blow people's minds. So without further ado, joining me today from his office in Montreal, here's Saki Bassett on the FOSS podcast. Saki, I'm so excited to have you on the FOSS podcast. Welcome. So excited to be here, Charlie. So nice. Thank you for the invitation. It's fabulous. So listen, I wanted to ask you about the origins of Moment Factory. I just am so impressed with your company and the incredible work that, that you guys do in terms of making magical, immersive experiences. Where did that all start? It's a good question. It started really organically, actually. Like In the mid-90s, I was doing a lot of photography. And in those days, as some of you might remember, is film, you know, there was no digital photography, it just didn't exist, no one ever heard about it. And um, so I was doing like slide photography, and then <clears throat> we started doing also like the like the rave scene started, so the electronic music was kind of like coming into North America, so we were throwing like also like these rave parties, and like all the warehouses and stuff like that, and then I started like projecting like slides in these in these parties, and then sixteen millimeter loops, and then we would like set up bed sheets and scrims and all kinds of stuff, and and then for, like from one day to the other, it seems everything became digital. So within like I don't know a summer, you could shoot on mini DV, edit on laptops, and just kind of like export your stuff, and then we were using these these old like analog mixers called MX50s and recording stuff on on VHS tapes because it was cheaper and easier so we would take like my station wagon and go and set up in like raves and after hour parties and we would start VJing with a bunch of friends and then like a friend of mine was um, like leaving Montreal so he's like hey you want my loft and I was like oh yeah sure I'll take it but I didn't really need it you know and I couldn't really afford it and I was like painting the floor there I was like why am I taking this thing you know like what am I going to do here so then I started inviting friends so we would split the rent and then um, basically we just started like uh, getting together and kind of like in this kind of small community of, of, of people doing VJing you know like video jockey then me, Dominic, my partner, and Jason Rohde kind of got together more seriously in this. And we said, okay, let's, let's start something and, and get more serious at it. And, and, and I guess we just attracted that kind of like 
people saying like, okay, I want to do crazy shit. Let's call Moment Factory. You know, like right. what's never been done before. Let's see what Moment, like they'll do something stupid and crazy. Like we're just a bunch of like people doing stuff that we were so excited about. Not because we wanted to do a business, not because we wanted to kind of like, like get a startup going. And it was really like organic kind of following amazement. It's like, what's the most amazing thing we can do right now? That's what we're doing. But this idea that it grew out of like parties, you know, like it was, it, it had that social component from the very beginning. It's like, let's have this amazing time and make a bunch of people out of their mind happy. <laughs> yeah. And then it kind of grew out of somehow a quest for new types of entertainments. And as, as you know, like in the 90s, like end of the 90s and beginning of the 2000s, I mean, Internet was like ee, coming along a little bit. Google was just getting out. Like projectors were the size of skidoos. LED lighting was just, just coming out. So like all the technology that we're using today or that this industry uses today kind of evolved between like the late 90s and today. And, you know, we were always there kind of like pushing this and kind of like playing with those tools and toys. So it's hard sometimes to think like, okay, this is not existing and what, what do we want it to be? You can only go so far versus like, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. You know, like we just want to do crazy stuff and that's what we're doing and that's how I kind of grew. So it's really, it's, it's really fascinating that, that today we, we have offices in five countries. We have three, 400 people working with us and amazing artists from around the world. And I think that's the, that's the key to our success, to be honest, is like the amazing talent that we were able to attract and to, to help them make their dreams come true. Also to leave space for people to grow and create a certain like ecosystem and context of collaboration and pushing ourselves so we're all pushing ourselves to make crazier stuff but like we have such a multidisciplinary team that it kind of expands people's potential because you, you multiply people that are not really meant to be working together and collaborating together and it ends up just with different results mm. yeah wow i mean i i've been in some of the spaces that and experiences that you've created in spaces and honestly the they're breathtaking, and I and you sit there like a little child, like watching as if you're seeing shooting stars for the first time or floating in the Grand Canyon. I mean, there's a way in which your pieces, they, they tap into something very primal in us to, to be somehow transcending of our human form and our problems of our day and, and that we somehow tap into something that's much more celestial or universal or deeper. And anyway, I wonder how you think about that. Is that, is that part of what you're going for? Absolutely. We do work in a lot of different contexts and, and, and a lot of the work is somehow site-specific or context-specific. And, you know, we don't come out and say, like, this is the recipe and we're going to apply it everywhere. But fundamentally, there's, there's certain things that kind of end up needing to happen to basically transport people in other worlds, you know. A lot of it is mixing all these different tricks and diff the stories and the contents and the visuals and the synchronization with the music and the lighting and the special effects. And when all this kind of like comes together, synchronized, 
there's a lot of magic that happens. You know, sometimes it's very immersive. Sometimes it's more interactive. Sometimes it's more like a quest. Sometimes it's more like multiple different installations that you go through. But our motto is we do it in public. We want to bring people together in the physical world, you know, and, and especially in a context like the pandemic where we're kind of forced to isolate, you really understand the importance. People are starved of gathering physically. So you understand the importance and what it does to people when they're isolated. What we do is we think that it's important for humans to have um, entertainment that, you know, is so great that you can only experience in the physical world together collectively humans are, are social animals they, they need to connect they need to touch they need to feel the presence you know and that's what we work towards that's our greater plan it's so true first of all i agree entirely that we we have that need to be social if we're not careful we will evolve away from it and also that need to be outdoors i mean obviously not all of your work's outdoors but but i certainly Know, love that project that you developed, Illumina, those, those mm. nature walks where you transform the outdoors into an amazing light and sound and multimedia experience at night and really make people get back to that childhood sense of wonder in the forest by adding this like pixie dust, you know, this magical element on top of nature. Tell us a little bit about the development of the Illumina series. I'll tell you maybe where start from the beginning from from where this kind of like came from. This is maybe like eight years ago or something like that. Someone from that was owning a camping, like a small camping, like two hours away from Montreal, called us and they wanted us to do a like they had this big hanging bridge in this in this kind of like valley, and they wanted us to do like a mapping, like a projection mapping on the bridge. Really, literally in the middle of nowhere. It's a small town. There's like two thousand people, and you know, we're doing projects everywhere in the world. It's like, guys, like, we need to choose our battles. Like, this is, like, not useful. It was like, like, Psyche, check this out. We shouldn't project on the bridge. And what we want to propose is to do, like, multiple different installations and to do a night walk. So we want to do, like, take stories that are local stories from, like, myths and legends, local, and then, like, make, like, 12, 15 installations on, like, one-and-a-half-kilometer trail through the bridge, through the gorge, through the river, and, and then back out. So in the end, it was a huge success. And, you know, this is a small town, like I'm saying, like 2,000 people. And there was a 2,000 people person per night going through the experience all summer long, you know? Wow, so people are coming from all over to see it. Yeah, because it's like cottage country and people are coming from like the other towns around and the parking lots were full. The city was crazy. Like even the, the restaurants ran out of food because, you know, they, they couldn't <laughs> handle like the, the load of people. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like since then we have now like 14 of these types of experiences and around the world we have three in Japan and Singapore we have one we have three in Europe some in the US some in Canada and the forest and nature reconnecting like the young generation or anyone but the young generation especially with nature and and, and also it's kind of like it's familiar with the young generations because we're using kind of like magic tricks and, and, and tools and multimedia and lighting and holograms and projecting on nature. So it's kind of like it's similar to the experiences that these they normally see like on their screens, but you connect them with nature at the same time. So it's entertaining and it's fun and it's kind of like mysterious. So you must have sold by now like three, four million tickets wow. um, of this around the world. Yeah. 
It's incredible. And, and what I love about it too is it, it creates this um, second life or second use for a lot of the places. I know you have one in a zoo or a botanical garden or the one that, that I got to tour virtually the other day was out at Whistler and it's a zip line during the day, but you know, nothing's happening there at night. And now, now it's like full up for some hours with families coming to pulse through it. And not only that, but I, I noticed that Families were loving it and no one had their phones out. Like nobody was looking at their phone. Everybody was totally captivated to be out in nature experiencing in the moment in it. Mm. No, it's true because a, a lot of the time it's infrastructures that are existing. Even sometimes like we're, we design the trails in like a forest and we kind of like clear the trails out. But sometimes like we come into a zoo and we, we, we take the existing infrastructure intact and then we add a whole layer of multimedia into the zoo, into the mechanical gardens or into the forest. And it's like re giving a second life, like a nightlife to, you know, something that's that, that has a, a, a life in the daytime. And often it's also like financed or, or it helps like the region. So it's like people stay a night more, they, they spend time in the restaurants, they spend more time in the area because they have this. So there's a lot of economic offsets to to these to these experiences that are that are greater than the the direct ticket sales, let's say. Right. So you're at the center of this whole movement of immersive entertainment. You're working in so many different versions of it, whether it's public spaces, out in nature, on architecture, in public squares, in train stations and, and cathedrals. And, and some of it's you know, for, for marketing, some of it's for entertainment, some of it's really driven by, by like another artist, like if you're doing it for Nine Inch Nails or, or a big, big name musical concert. First of all, do you agree that this is a growing field, this area of immersive entertainment, and why do you think it's growing so quickly? Yeah, it's growing. For sure it's growing. Because there are successful projects. And and like we, we see this like as like the responsibility of everyone that's working in this industry. If there's investments, people invest money, people see this. And if it's a failure, or if the experience is kinda of like mediocre or kinda of disappointing, it's not helping the industry. We have like five teams. And, and like that, that focus on different industries. So one of them is museums. One of them is cities. So they do like all like the airports, the uh, transportation hubs, the, the real estate stuff, the resorts, the casinos and retail stuff. And like in those spaces, the objectives are very different than for the rock star that needs a, a background that kind of helps him set his persona and helps him kind of tell the story of his song. Like in an airport, it's more about relaxing people and, and, and it's kind of creating kind of like visual art, digital video art that basically tunes people out of the logistic experience of airports. And also it helps kind of like identify the city. Airports are often like at the entrance to a city, so it, it becomes kind of like your ID to the city. And also it just tunes people out of like the, the stress of traveling. And then we have like another team that does what we call like formats. It's more like products like the Luminas, like the churches, the auras, or like location-based entertainment. So like black boxes where we, 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 we create like immersive installations and, and, and paths. You know. But all of this is, it are various forms of immersive experiences. And you are 
constantly innovating in that space. As you said, you're, you were born out of this idea of experimenting and trying to push technology. And as you're doing it, you're, you're building the language. We've talked about this before, that it's not a mature medium. It's not like film. Everyone knows what a cut and a pan and a montage or whatever these, these sort of tools of cinema are. You're constantly, you and your team, trying to figure out what the language of these kinds of immersive experiences are. Can you talk a little bit about that and the challenges that, that you face with that? If we look at the industry today, uh, like I, I think like when you talk about storytelling, people think Netflix because it's the hottest way to go through a story because there's the most depth going through like episodes and episodes of like a Netflix series. But like in the immersive worlds, you can't really do that in the same way. I don't think like you can compare. And we've been trying. We try different things. You can do some stuff, but you can't really have the same kind of close-ups that you need on a character to feel that emotion. And you can't really have the same dialogue between a character and another character for the same amount of time because people don't have the same attention span and the medium requires a different language. So like, I think that right now this whole medium is in its infancy and everyone that's playing in this field is contributing to it with different experimentations. But fundamentally, it, it, it requires its own language. For me, it's like a mix between architecture and film. It's like a digital layer added to the real world. And there's like something to do with the scale that's unique to this experience. Mm -hmm. I, I know you and I dealt with a project together uh, a couple of years ago where you were taking over that Cuinard cruise line, the old station in, in lower Manhattan. And it's an unbelievably grand and beautiful space. And I remember you were trying to build a story, an immersive light experience, projection light experience, multimedia experience, and build a story. And how did that go for you? <laughs> it, was, it was a super difficult one. Like, I'll give a bit of context of the project. We, we did a joint venture with Cipriani, that's a restaurant and event company in New York that are like super established, super amazing. And we took on one of their, their event venues, you know, and then we scanned it in 3D. Um, and then we wanted to do like two types of experiences there. One show in the summer because there's no events in the summer. And in the, the event season, we would enhance this space with like uh, immersive events. So we put like 10,000 square feet of mirror floor and we did these kind of like dream worlds. So there's like seven worlds that are created and they come like completely different aesthetic and we call the show Super Real, and it's amazing. It's much more like a, an immersive digital art experience. It's going through like these dreams. But like the concept is like, because we're in this so physical, like marble architecture, vaulted ceilings, like historical landmark building from like the real world, and then we scan it in 3D, and then we create this whole 3D kind of like digital layer to it. So we're merging the real with the surreal. We're merging the real world with the digital world. And then between both, sometimes you don't know what's real anymore because we create these illusions and we use like lighting and we use like architectural finishes in 3D that look like the same architectural finishes that are physical. So you kind of like trick people to think like, what's real now? And that's super interesting because like that's what this medium can do, especially when it's site-specific like that. So it's a, it's a real kind of like trick and illusions and surreal and it's also like 
this kind of like new psychedelic where you're merging the real and you don't know anymore like whoa what's going on and you just like went into another world and you're like whoa and, but you're really immersed in it and so it's it's really impressive also with the scale is like 30 feet ceilings and so th that really works super well and it comes back every summer with the covid it's a bit shifty we, we need to close we need to open but um we do also the event aspects of it so we do now like private events we do fundraisers we do corporate events in that space and it's amazing because like all the infrastructure is there so the cost of doing like an immersive event is so much lower than doing the cost than doing an event in a, in an oral space where you need to scan everything and you need to kind of like bring in the equipment and all this so we have like a library of stuff that's existing and then we do custom content as well and we can like can enhance all kinds of events and stuff in there and it, it's super successful it works super well it's a 25 broadway in, in new york it's amazing it's just so smart to be able to completely change the experience of that space and be able now since you've you've done the mapping you can customize it for different events and you can you can evolve the story you tell in there and we were the first event in fact future storytelling had our our opening yeah, night party in that space with what you did and, and yeah. it was extraordinary i mean people truly felt that they were transformed to another world and It's almost like, again, having a virtual reality headset on, but the, the headset's the size of the entire grand hall. Like every, you know, it's, you're now in. A And you can connect with your friends. Right. You can touch the wall. You can connect with your friends. You can, you can have expressions. You can have a relationship with the person beside you. You can, you can connect with someone, you know. You can bring someone on a date. It's hard to go on a date with a virtual headset. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it, this metaverse thing for me is, is quite scary. Hmm. Um, well, yours, yours are an enhancement of the real world um, as opposed to a rejection or escape from it. <laughs> yeah, and I like this merge when you don't know what's real and what's digital now. Yeah. Like I find like adding a layer to reality is super cool. That's what we do. And that's like a metaphor that we use a lot. It's kind of like 10,000 years ago, people would gather around campfires to tell stories. And now the stories have changed, people have changed, the technology has changed. But that basic human need has, has stayed the same. People want to gather for stories. You want to gather physically, you know. And, and, and I think that that's kind of like a real human need. And with COVID, we realize it so much more. What's been one of the most difficult spaces that you've had to work in? Spaces, you mean like physical spaces? Yeah. Dealing technology in these contexts is super complex. In snow, as, as the snow is going up, your, your landscape is changing. The whole space is changing. Like, you know, the, the, your trees is not at the same place as it was before. You're like five feet higher. So you like the whole world is changing around. So nature is super tough. The realities of, of operations and keeping the quality to the next level is, is completely different. There's also like the whole impact on nature in, in these projects. So it's like zero impact. So we couldn't put anything visible, no wires, no, no cutting nothing. Like everything needs to be like no impact on nature long term. Everything is complex. Like when we're dealing with churches, we're dealing right now, we're doing a show right now in called Lise Valide is where Napoleon is buried. So it's like this super iconic thing in, in, in France. This amazing building is like, I don't know, 50 feet high ceilings, this huge vaulted ceiling, the highest for many, many years in the world, you know? And so we're taking this building and we're doing this immersive experience inside of it. But I mean, you can't, you know, you need to put technology in there, you need to hide it, and you can't like do holes in the walls, you can't pass wires wherever you want. So it's, it's very complex to, 
to create magic when you know you need to to have equipment and and and, and you know the technology to basically project lighting and, and video and sound and lasers and stuff like that but it needs to be all like really well hidden and have zero impact on the infrastructure on the existing infrastructure because it's kind of like you know landmark buildings unesco protected sites you know well sometimes we all know that limitations can create greater creativity we'd all be incredibly challenged if we had an infinite canvas but if it has a certain certain edges then we can work within it and obviously sometimes you take on projects with very clear edges <laughs> very limiting edges i know that you have also started to create an outdoor lab a place where people can experiment uh -huh. and try things out in nature um, how's that been for you has that been useful we love to throw parties and like that's where we come from we always throw crazy parties you know before like We always threw crazy parties. I can't tell you too much because I don't know. Like we always threw crazy parties. And as the company's grown, we wanted to keep throwing parties. And then Dominic, my partner, has this amazing lands, this 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 huge kind of like estates. So then we started like saying, okay, let's throw parties there. And then we like we ended up having like five stages and on this lake, and then another thing on top of the mountain, and then another stage over here. We have like bands come in, and we had like. A thousand people there, like friends and family and, and the staff. I mean, already we have like like three, four hundred people as staff. So they bring their 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 wife, their friends, whatever. You, you end up quickly at a thousand people. So then we started doing these these luminas, and then we're like, okay, let's like through these these experiments that we're doing in the in the forest, we started doing the luminas, and then like the luminas we needed the testing ground. We need to say like, okay, let's let's not just like on every project from the scratch start exploring and experimenting Let, let's experiment in advance let's let's just do stuff that we think is crazy and then let's put it on projects if we think it works so since then we have like like a, a whole process we have like a whole teams come down a few times during the summer and we experiment with like a bunch of different ideas it's kind of like a, a playground you know it's kind of like a, a lab playground which is super fun because it's kind of like less serious and it doesn't need to be finished what's cool is like it's a proof of concept is this is this something we should we should test out we should we push this out further and like we just push it enough to say like oh yeah that that's exciting and everyone's like whoa so then we're like okay let's, let's push this further and then we put it on a project after you know so i get it so it basically all comes from a from partying And uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and exactly. and then just a desire to play, you know, and 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 try things. And that's yeah, that's super important. You know, like this is something that I feel like I had to go through in the last years is like learning to play again. You know, like somehow as adults, we just become serious. Like, okay, I'm running right. a business, da da da, and management, ba 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 ba. There's a lot of stress. Da, 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 da. I don't have time for that. It's not productive. Yeah. yeah, and it's like all about productivity, all about being serious. And then you kind of like you get caught as an adult, and then you're fucked. You, you can't. You can't be an adult. <laughs> yeah. Like, like how do like, I get here? You can't be creative and be an <laughs> I'm adult. I'm not my dad. No, yeah. and it's kind of like it's not fun. But you're not going to do great work, and that's our business. That's like what, what, we, what we live for. So it's like you have to learn to stay young and, and to stay a kid somehow. And I think that this is something that's super important. Like as for me anyways, like growing and then like 
like working on like letting go and, and, and not caring as much and experimenting and like just like being more free. And I think it's, it's something that's really important for a lot of people. But for me, it's, it's really important. I'm still working on it. I think it takes consistent awareness, consciousness of this and like doing stuff that's not always about like efficiency. I hear you. That makes so much sense. Again, as somebody who runs a business and I just so appreciate that that you and your colleagues at Moment Factory are helping to figure out how to make those experiences available to us mm. and get us out into nature or get us feeling like we're on some, you know, acid trip mm. in a in a cathedral or or church or public space and just want to um, say, you know, thank you and, and applaud the work. And I can't wait to be out at one of your parties. Yeah. It's funny that you <laughs> mentioned that soon. because for me, honestly, like psychedelics have always been a big inspiration, you know, and I, for me, it transformed, like it just opened my mind when I was young. And I think somehow like a lot of the work is also about like, trying to trans to open people's minds without the psychedelics you know like like you go to the church and then you see like these this like the, the basilica and then like with the project that we have here in montreal it's kind of like this amazing architecture that's transformed and it just kind of like goes crazy but it's a psychedelic experience kind of thing but it's, it's a similar experience that on psychedelics but you're not you know and the same in the forest like a lot of the experiences is like these illusions and these tricks and and i think there's something really interesting in opening people's minds the experiences that we do i hope they open people's minds and saying wow this is possible and it just kind of sparks something like that's new and different and like a new experience for humans first of all i think humans live for new experiences and so like how can we we do that and just opening up people's minds and, and that's what we try to do without the psychedelics but the, the experience itself is somehow opening up it like a psychedelics would I do think it just reminds us that there's something much greater than ourselves, right? That we are we are minute. We're we're a grain of sand, and in in, mm. in the face of something exquisite and infinite, mm. um, and that that can be incredibly reassuring. I mean, I guess it can also be scary, but but I think for a lot of people, it just creates that sense of awe, of of wonder, of magic, of of something that that becomes actually spiritual. And I think we are all hungry for that. I mean, if anything, we are in a world that is devoid of that sense of spirituality, of being part of something much bigger. Great. Thank you, my friend. This was super thank, fun. Thank you, Charlie. This was super fun. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for great connection and the friendship and uh, the inspiration. I'd like to thank Saki Bassett for joining me on the podcast today. You can find links to explore Moment Factory's work and view a full transcript of today's conversation by visiting a link in this episode's description. Thank you for listening to the FOSS podcast. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you did, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share with a friend or colleague who might enjoy it too. FOSS also produces a monthly newsletter that's filled with valuable information for storytellers of all kinds. You can subscribe for free by visiting our website at fost.org, where you'll also find a wealth of other great resources. The FOSS Podcast is produced by Melcher Media in collaboration with our talented production partner, Charts and Leisure. 
I hope we'll see you soon for another deep dive into the world of storytelling. Until then, please be safe, stay strong, and story on.